Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20, the Old Testament. We are continuing our study in the Ten Commandments, really a description and commands that tell us how we can love God properly and also love others. And we have considered the first several commandments that are Godward. We are coming now to the focus on how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Apparently, the story has been around the internet for a while, but it was just very recently. I received an email, and in it was a link to this story that I thought was very applicable for what we are going to be considering this morning. In 1976, a man married a woman who had two young children, a boy and a girl. He adopted those children as his own. He raised them as his own children. But shortly before he proposed he realized that he was going to need money to help support his new family. So he sold his beloved sports car, a green 1973 Corvette Stingray. He parted with this car, and then 40 years later, he walked into a parking lot with his family, and and there was a 1973 Stingray. He began to talk about his car and sharing some of the memories of when he had purchased it, what had taken place, and the various details about that car. And as he's talking with his family and sharing some of this, his daughter Janice hands him the keys and he realizes that she is giving him this car. The license plate had the letters YDHT, which stood for you didn't have to. Of course, there were hugs, there were tears. It's uh, one of those feel-good stories. But I thought, what a wonderful example of showing honor to a man who stepped in and served as a father to children that were not his own biologically, but he adopted them as his own. This morning, I want us to consider the honor role or the role of honor that ought to be in our lives. And, And we find that in the fifth commandment, that we're to honor our father and mother. We're continuing our study of the Ten Commandments. As I've mentioned, the the first four commandments really are vertical. They're upward in the focus. They, They provide guidance on how we are to love the Lord properly. That as Jesus summed it up, he said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what we saw in these first four commandments was, first of all, who we are to worship and that we are to worship the true God rightly. That means spiritually. We're to do it reverently, and we're to do it regularly. And that really is what we saw in the first four commandments. Today we come to the fifth commandment that really provides the turning point in these commands. And here we find guidance on how to love our neighbor properly. And so as we come to this commandment, I would ask the question, and as we read it in just a moment, just this one verse, to consider, is this command primarily vertical or is it horizontal in focus? Is it upward or is it outward? 
Does it direct our attention to God or to people? If you have your Bibles open, follow with me. We're going to look at Exodus 20, verse 12. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look into your word this morning and understand the instruction that while we are not under the Mosaic law, that there are principles here that apply because of who you are and who we are. And so we pray that we would not simply be hearers, but doers of your word. Show us how to properly give the honor to those to whom it is due and to do so for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What I want us to see from this passage this morning is that showing proper honor for for God-ordained authority begins first with our parents, and it invites God's blessing into our life. That is the theme that we see in this passage, that it begins with a focus on parents, but what we will see, and we see this as, as Jesus expanded on the commandments, is that while there's a statement, the application is much broader. We see that in the New Testament when he says, you've heard that you shall not commit murder, but if you hate your brother. Well, he's taking it from simply the action to the attitude. And the attitude is much broader than the mere command. There are several things I want us to see about this command. The first one is that this commandment forms a bridge between the instructions for loving God and loving others. Go back to my earlier question concerning the focus of this command. Is it directing our attention toward God or toward others? And I would say that the answer is both. That it's not one or the other. If, If the commandment stopped with that first phrase, honor your father and mother, we could conclude that it was horizontal in focus, that it was others oriented. We could see that we're we're called to love our neighbor, and our parents are our earliest and closest neighbors. So there's definitely application there. But the commandment continues that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And so there was a Godward aspect of this command. There's a connection that I I think as we're moving from the first commands, that we're moving beyond the relationship with God alone to the relationship with parents. That, That God, Yahweh, is the giver of life. Now we're directed also to the parental relationship, and they are the channel of God's gift of life. And so there's a connection here, that that there's an aspect that loving your neighbor starts at home. The early church father, Augustine or Augustine, said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? That there really is that aspect, that God intends for the family to be our first and primary relationship. It's a place of learning. And if children don't learn to respect authority at home, they're not really going to show respect for authority elsewhere. And that creates problems in the classroom. We deal with that in school. We deal with that at multiple levels. We see it around us in our culture. So this is a bridge command between the first four and what will be the following ones that it's bringing our attention and tying us to focus on how to honor God and then how to honor our neighbor. The second thing I want us to see is that because authority is delegated by God, demonstrating the proper respect provides promise and protection. That we see that in this passage. There is a promise provided. 
God is setting forth a structure for life and blessing and, and, and giving this to Israel as they will be going into the promised land. In fact, both the fourth and the fifth commandments are stated positively. To remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. To honor your father and mother. And as we come to this one, we understand that authority is delegated by God. And a proper view of authority safeguards the structure that God has established. So, so God's blessing is stated as a consequence of obedience. There's a covenantal blessing. So, so the question we would ask then is, what does it mean to honor? And the idea that is encapsulated in this word is a heavy idea because the, the word honor means giving weight to authority. That's actually what the word means. The word literally means heavy or weighty. It's, it's to weigh heavily upon. So it means to give the proper weight to a person because of their position, their, their opinions are, are treated in a, a certain way. The, the opposite of this would be to treat lightly or insignificantly. And, and we, we sometimes make those statements. Well, well, that person carries no weight. His opinion doesn't matter. I, I don't have an ounce of respect for him. Those are statements of weight. Showing honor takes seriously the the responsibility and it it gives precedence to parents. Both father and mother are mentioned here as God-ordained authority. The second thing, though, that we see is honor is evidenced by a right heart attitude. The honor is a heart issue. That, that reverence for a person ought to come from the heart because I'm taking seriously their position and then their opinion, that, that that weighs, that I'm giving respect. And it also means that we show patience to parents in spite of their failures because no parents are perfect. And the truth is we all violate this command at some point. There are several ways that we do this, that we show that, that right heart attitude. One is honor is preferential. Honor is really closely related to the word glory. It means distinguishing, giving the glory means that, that is due God's name means we give him the weight that he deserves. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it describes Christian love as in honor giving preference to one another. So again, children need to learn respect at home. If they don't learn to listen to parental authority, they will not respect other authority. Teachers, employers, police, church leaders. It's it's going to be a challenge at every level. Honor is preferential. Secondly, honor is is positional. It recognizes they have a position of authority. That there is an authority structure that God has established, beginning with parents, government, that these are, these are positions. Now, the challenge that we all face is how do you show honor to an authority that acts dishonorably? And that is a difficulty, and we're going to talk about that in a few moments. But regardless, we have to guard our attitude. I mean, it's a struggle when we see governmental leaders who, who are dishonorable, dishonest, and, and we struggle, but we still have to guard our attitude. And understand that God has ordained authority. In fact, it says in Romans 13, verse 7, it's talking about paying taxes, and then in the same sentence, it instructs believers to, quote, render to whom honor is due. 
So we're to give honor to those to whom it is due. And, and that, was being, that was written to the Romans in Rome, and their leadership was not the kind that you would want. Nero was not the, the leader that you would want to have, that, that should win an election that was honest. And understanding the positional aspect of honor. And then thirdly, honor is practical. It's, it's not just lip service, as I've already mentioned. It's a heart attitude, and it then needs to be lived out very practically. Heard of a, a little boy that was playing baseball, and, and during the game, his coach called over one of the nine-year-olds. He called over this nine-year-old player, and he said to him, he said, okay, do you understand what cooperation is? The boy said, yes, sir. Do you understand what team is? The boy nodded that he did. Do you understand that it matters whether we win or lose, that we do it together as a team? And he nodded, yes. Coach said, so do you know that if you are called out, you shouldn't argue with the umpire? He acknowledged he did. You can't call him an idiot. You can't call him blind. Do you understand that? The boy said, yes. And and he said, "And, and when I take you out of the game to give somebody else a chance to play, it's not good sportsmanship to call your coach stupid. Do you get that? And he said, yes, sir. He said, okay, good. Now go explain all that to your mom. <laughs> you know, sometimes the problem is the parents. And have you have coached and seen sports, and sometimes we as parents need to apply this practically. Because values are caught more than they're taught. This commandment actually is being directed primarily to adults. When the law was given, now we find in the New Testament, we'll look at a couple of verses in a moment, that are directed to the children. Children, obey your parents. But the statement of honor is an attitude that we as adults have to display. The third thing that I want to see is developing the right response toward authority is a spiritual endeavor. That we understand this is a spiritual issue. And it's a challenge. It's a struggle. We, we recognize this, that, that displaying honor is a struggle, and it's a struggle for several reasons. The first one is because of sinful depravity. That we live in a fallen world, and we have a fallen nature. Disrespect for one's parents was a serious offense under the Mosaic Law. I mean, un, in the covenant community of Israel... To disobey parents was really disobeying God. And some of the most frightening judgments, the statements of judgment in the Old Testament, were reserved for children who rebelled against their parents. When you read through the Old Testament, this was not a light matter. Leviticus 20 verse 9 said, If anyone curses his father or mother, he must be put to death. In Deuteronomy 21, 18 and 19, it says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, then it goes on in verse 21, it says, Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death, and you will purge the evil from among you, and all Israel will hear it and be afraid. You think? Wouldn't take many stonings for that word to get out. 
And now, again, understand, this is speaking of a persistent, public, willful disobedience, stubborn and rebellious, who will not heed. It wasn't some kid who, who lost their temper, and in the frustration, they said things that shouldn't have been said. That's not really what's being spoken of. It's not this sinful outburst of, of a momentary re, wrong response. It's a pattern. Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks his father and scorns the obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out. The young eagles will eat it. These are are not encouraging verses. They're cautionary verses. And again, it's speaking of that warning. But understand, this is what was said under the Mosaic law. But the warning in the New Testament is because there is really a very deep concern of the character of an individual. It says in, in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 and, and following, it's talking about those who reject God. It says, and even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things that are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetous maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only to do the same, but to also approve of those who practice them. How many of these statements do we see in our culture today? The, the lack, the boasting, the violence, inventors of evil, unloving, untrustworthy, and disobedient. And so we, we see that there, there is a a sinful depravity. A second thing is the social destruction that's taken place. There has been a cultural breakdown in America that has undermined the concept of honor. And again, this isn't new. When we read Romans 1 and, and we read what was going on in, the, in Rome at that time, this is not new, but it's definitely been a change within our American culture. Many historians point to a significant shift that took place in American attitudes back in the 1960s. The attitude toward authority really shifted. Annie Gottab, one of the participants in that, and who identifies as the 60s and as the generation that destroyed the American family, wrote this. We might not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer. We could get our hands on it. And we believe that the family was the foundation of the state as well as the collective state of mind. We truly believe that the family had to be torn apart to free love, which alone could heal the damage done when the atom was split to release energy. And the first step was to tear ourselves free from our parents. She's saying that that to tear down the state, they knew they needed to start with the family to break free from their parents so that they could free love. How's that turned out for us? Now, the media mocks parents as clueless. The entertainment industry, the parents are the the ones who don't have a clue. Children are called to, to honor parents who, unfortunately, are disrespectful to each other. 
I think the impact of technology has had an influence on this with the availability of information that causes children to be wise in their own eyes. You know, it used to be that, that kids would learn a trade from their parents, and so they had to be teachable. They had to ask questions. Now we as parents go to them and ask them, how do you fix this on my phone? <laughs> you know, how do I deal with my computer? And because they have information and search engines, they assume they are wise. Information is not the same as wisdom. There are a lot of f- smart fools in our society because moral discernment comes from applying truth. And that move for free love has created all sorts of problems. The sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s led to the homosexual revolution, which has given way to the gender confusion that we see today. And it can be traced back to the breakdown of the home in many ways. And by the way, this command leaves no room for same-sex parenting. Books like Heather Has Two Mommies that are promoted in our culture. No, this is... Honor father and mother. It's very specific. One commentator said the way to destroy a nation is to destroy the family. The way children can destroy the family is by disobeying their parents. Parents, this is why it's so important that we teach our children to obey and for the right reasons and with the right attitude because obedience is bigger than just concern about peace in our home. It it impacts our culture. It impacts our church. And so recognizing the social destruction, and then the third thing is the selfish demands. This is a struggle because all of us want to be in charge. We would rather be honored than give honor. And the sinful human nature resists this this concept. And this isn't new. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15. They were adults, and He said, you've used your traditions to cancel the Word of God. And so that you cannot show honor to your parents and blame it on your traditions. And this is also a characteristic of the last days. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, beginning in verse 1, but knowing this in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people, turn away. I mean, what we see with this passage is the latter days and we're, we're closer to the end than we've ever been in history. Disobedience to parents puts a person in bad company. This is not a list of people you want to be associating with. So stay away from such people is what the passage says. But I want us to also see that displaying honor is significant for several reasons. That we need to understand the importance of of honor. It's significant because of the Godward aspect of the parental relationship. That everyone in a position of authority is under authority. And ultimately, we are all under God's authority. So even if you are in authority, you are still under authority. And so the key point for those both in authority and under authority has to be to ask the question, what pleases God? How do I respond properly to the authority that is over me? How do I respond properly when I am in authority so that God is honored and glorified? 
The vertical relationship must inform the horizontal. The Godward focus has to impact the other's focus. That's why Jesus said the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like to it. Because if we don't love God properly, we're going to lose sight of how to love our neighbor properly. And so as parents, we have a great responsibility before God. And young people, you too have a responsibility to please God. And and that can be a struggle. How do I please God if I have parents that don't know God or are disobedient? When I was a youth pastor, I I had a girl in our youth group whose family had had come from another country. And in that country, arranged marriages were, were very common. And, and she came to me and said, you know, my parents are talking about arranging a marriage for me with an unsaved man. And, and she knew the Bible. She said, you know, I, I know that, you know, 1 Corinthians 6.14 talks about not being, not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And, and she understood marriage was a pretty tight yoke. And she said, what do I do? You know, my parents are trying to arrange a marriage. I, I don't believe that's God's will. How do I handle this? I mean, what would you tell her? I told her, I said, you had better display such honor and obedience now in the areas where you can, that if it ever reaches a point where you have to say, no, I can't do that to your parents' wishes, that it is so out of character that they're surprised and they understand there's something bigger going on here. Otherwise, it's just going to be one more example of you doing your own thing. And that's why it's a challenge, because we all have to think God were. As a parent, am I honoring God in how I seek to direct my children? And then as in the classroom, and then as young people and children, am I honoring God in how I respond? Because the second thing that we see is there's a promise and the pleasure of God that is significant in this. For Israel, the, the promise of the land was not a small thing. We, we kind of read right over that. You know, on your father and mother that it may go well with you and live long in the land. Well, do you realize that for hundreds of years now, they've, they've been in a foreign land and they've been serving as slaves. Now they're being given a land, and this is a testimony, this is a statement of prosperity, of promise. That if you will do this, then it will go well. In fact, one of the many reasons that they, Israel ended up going into exile, into the Babylonian exile, according to Ezekiel 22, verse 7, was because they made light of father and mother. And so that chapter gives a number of sins, but that was one of them. And that's where I would say the principle, well, we're not under the law, the Mosaic law, the principle applies today because in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. It's speaking of, of the first in priority because there were promises in some of the other commandments. But it's that first relationship, it's the priority of, of teaching. And then in Colossians Uh, Three, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so again, we're reminded parents are under God's authority. The general principle of pleasing God is that there will be blessing, prosperity. That doesn't mean that every child who dies young dishonored their parents or that every person who lives long honored their parents. But there's a general principle here that it goes well with those who are obedient. And and we, we see that very practically. I mean, teachers would rather have kids who listen and obey 
than the one that they have to constantly be saying, sit down, stop that, don't do that, don't hit them. And, and, and then parents saying, oh, well, my child would never do that. I never said that about my kids. I knew their parents. I knew me. Like, sometimes my thought was, is that all? <laughs> but we as parents need to be very careful. Fathers in particular, don't provoke your children that they become discouraged. There's a general principle here. And I think a third reason that we see this, is the importance is the example of Jesus Christ. We display honor because we can be Christ-like. We're seeking to raise Christ-like young people. Well, how did Jesus respond? One of the discussions we had in, in, in our Tri-City Christian Academy in-service, the question I asked is, what would a Christ-like third grader, fourth grader, sixth grader, junior higher look like? And we had great answers, good discussion. But you know, Jesus was all those ages. And understanding, you may be familiar with the incident that took te- place in the temple when Jesus was 12 years old. He, he lingered in Jerusalem. His parents headed home without him. They, they actually get a day's journey before they even miss him. And, and when they finally find him, it's been three full days. And they find him having a theological discussion with the religious leaders. I, I read that story and I think, what was going through Joseph's mind at that point? I mean, an angel comes to him and tells him, this, this is the child conceived of the Holy Spirit. This is the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And you lost him. <laughs> I'm thinking, that's not going to end well. <laughs> and when they finally find him, Mary, Mary is, is, is frustrated. She says, you know, she says to Jesus, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. I think that's an understatement. And Jesus replied, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And at that point, he's directing the focus Godward. But the very next verses in Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52, we find Jesus then in that vertical or the horizontal relationship. It says, and then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And that's our desire for our young people, that they would grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. But the context of of it was he was submissive. Jesus submitted to his parents And that's really an amazing statement when you realize that he was perfect, he never did anything wrong, and he had sinful parents. And yet he showed honor even to sinners when he was sinless. So we as sinners need to learn, how can I honor the Lord? I want us to see, fourthly in this passage, developing the right response toward authority takes personal effort. It is a challenge. And there's many things that we can do. As we sang earlier, give us homes where Christ is Lord and Master. I think the first thing we need to do is set an honorable tone in our homes. That as parents, as grandparents, those of us that have that authority, that we are called to to do much more than simply discipline our children. We're to disciple them. We're to pray for them. We need to encourage them. 
We need to counsel them. We need to protect them. We're setting that tone in our home that, that they will then behave honorably. We have to deal with, an, you know, with, with enough kids who don't understand this commandment. We want to make sure that we're helping them in this. The question is not, how can I get my kids to cooperate? It's how can I parent for God's glory? And sometimes it truly is a matter of prayer. Lord, I don't understand how this is going to work. It doesn't seem to be working. And yet I'm willing to do what you have said and trust you. And praying and crying out to the Lord. Sometimes it's praying with our children present that God will turn their hearts. That they understand we're, we're calling on one who can change their hearts because we can't do it. I think one of the ways we do this in our home is we, we show grace in our speech. You know, how, how we talk about other people, particularly those in authority, governmental officials, teachers, employers. Do we, do we show that we give the weight that they deserve? And that, again, is a challenge when they're dishonorable. But we need to have the right attitude. How do you talk to your spouse? How do you talk to your children? You know, it's sad that some parents will say things to their children they wouldn't even say to their dog. And then we wonder why young people struggle with honor. How do you allow your children to talk to each other? Do they, do they treat one another as made in the image of God? What are you entertained by? The media? Are you watching things that, that make dishonor funny and enjoyable and acceptable? Well, then understand we're teaching that way. Young people, how do you talk to your parents? You know, use real words. And they can be more than one syllable. You know, not just guttural sounds of uh-huh, uh-huh, hmm, hmm. You know, use multi-syllable words to communicate. Don't act like English is your second language unless it really is. Because honor is demonstrated in our tone of voice, in how we speak. Parents, treat your children with respect. I think that's another way we can establish this in our homes. Yes, they push our buttons. And yes, we have to correct, but we have to do it in the right way. Treat them as image bearers of God's glory and encourage and direct and instruct them in the, the path of righteousness. Three children, listen to your parents. And this is more than just hearing words. It's giving weight to what they say. I would say physically, this means giving eye contact. When they speak to you, look at them. Parents, we, we talk, teach our children that. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Teach them that if they hear your voice, the sound of your voice in the ambient noise of the room to tune in, that shows honor. This is important. We set the tone in our, house, in our homes. We also need to demonstrate honor for the Lord in our life choices. Do we strive to make decisions? Last week we talked about how we treat the Lord's day. Do we show honor? Giving proper weight to worship. Could this be part of why the fourth and fifth commandments are connected? Because this commandment goes beyond the parental relationship. It's the, the pattern of giving weight to all authority that God brings in our life. I think a, a, a third thing is to be teachable. You know, we, we see this with students. Students, do you give the proper esteem and direction to your teachers, to your professors? You know, you, you have a reason for what you did, but they're trying to instruct you. Coaches do this. You know, if you think you know it all, then you'll view the instruction as, as light. You'll take it lightly. That's not showing honor. A fourth one is how we respond to correction. 
I mentioned the strong warnings in the Old Testament for, for violation, but the other side of that, Proverbs speaks about the wise son who heeds his father's instruction, but the scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke, Proverbs 13.1. So how do you respond to authority? How do you do it when they're less than honorable? And that really is a struggle that we face today in many cases. Well, let me say, hiding their sin is not the right response. An abusive person is in sin. Now, you need to guard your attitude and protect yourself, but sin needs to be exposed. And I think we can find this by learning from godly examples. And that's the fifth thing that I want us to see, but I think it ties these together. You know, there's a story in the Bible that I think really illustrates this point. There were two men, they were best friends, David and Jonathan. They, they were bound together by several things. There, there was a courage in their relationship. They both were, were men of courage. They were, both were warriors, and they both had a heart for the Lord. They, they had spiritual interests in common. And both of them fought against the Philistines. I mean, we know David for killing Goliath, but Jonathan was also a, a, a mighty warrior in fighting the Philistines. He, he really initiated some major victories for Israel. And there was probably only one person that gave David and Jonathan more trouble than the Philistines, and that was Jonathan's father, Saul. King Saul was an arrogant, angry, violent, ill-tempered man. He made foolish decisions that hurt himself and hurt his people. Once, after Jonathan had really instigated a tremendous victory and the army is chasing, they're pursuing the Philistines and they're, they're defeating them, Saul makes this foolish statement, this proclamation that nobody can have anything to eat until his, his enemies have been defeated. And, and, I mean, they needed to eat for strength because in the heat of the battle, they're growing weary, but they didn't want to violate that. And, and Saul said, if anybody violates this, they will die. Well, Jonathan didn't hear it. He wasn't there when this foolish instruction was given. And as they were going, he ate some honey. And when Saul found out, he was planning to kill his own son. And if his other soldiers hadn't intervened, he would have. I mean, what kind of father would threaten to kill his son over a mouthful of food? That's the kind of man that Saul was. And, and he treated Jonathan bad. He treated David even worse. After David killed Goliath, David's fame rose and Saul became very jealous. On one occasion, David was playing the harp for Saul and Saul threw a spear at David and tried to kill him. And when David escaped, Saul just got even angrier. He tried to get David killed in battle. He promised to give his daughter to David in marriage, and, and David had to kill 100 Philistines to do that. And he, Saul's thinking, this will get him killed. Well, David killed 200 Philistines instead. And so Paul, Saul put out an order to all his soldiers and even his own son to, to kill David. There was a price on David's head. How do you honor a man like that? How do you honor a, a father who asks you to commit murder? Well, Jonathan honored God, and he warned David. He didn't cover his dad's sin, and he warned David. In fact, at one point, Saul got so angry at his son, 
in 1 Samuel 20, verse 30, he says, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, and he accused him of bringing great shame on his family. I mean, Saul was verbally abusive, he was physically abusive, he was emotionally manipulative, and he was mentally unbalanced. And I give you all that background because Jonathan still honored his father. How did he do that? Well, for one thing, he tried to get him to stop sinning. He spoke to him and said, this isn't right. He sought to speak truth into the life of his father. He exhibited a godly example in spite of the vitriol that was directed toward him. He remained loyal to his father where he could be loyal. He was not blind to his father's faults, but he still had a heart of love. In fact, Jonathan died fighting to save the life of his father. That's a heart of honor for a man who really did not deserve it in and of himself. And David also showed honor to Saul. On one occasion when Saul was trying to kill David, Saul went into the cave and David and his men were hiding back further in that cave and David could have easily killed him. In fact, his men were telling him, you need to kill him. God's delivered him into your hand. That's why he's here. God's given him to you. Go ahead and kill him. And instead, David cut off a piece of Saul's robe. And even that seemingly insignificant act bothered David's conscience that he hadn't shown the proper honor. And so when Saul went out, David called to him after he'd gotten a ways away. And, And he didn't minimize Saul's sin. In fact, if you want to read it all, it's in, in 1 Samuel chapter 24. He tells him, this, what you did is wrong. This is sin. But he also tells him that I, I am not against you. In fact, in, in 1 Samuel 24, 11, he says, moreover, my father. See, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. He called him his father, even though he wasn't. David did not minimize Saul's sin. In fact, he called him out for his wickedness, but he didn't respond in kind. And I think that's a tremendous example for us, both in Jonathan and David. This was a wicked person. And understand that we need to learn from godly examples. You know, it may not be difficult to honor a man who gives up his prized sports car to raise children that aren't his own biologically. It's much more difficult to honor a man like Saul who's vengeful, sinful, prideful, violent, and unhinged. But God will give us grace to, first of all, show honor to God. And I would encourage all of us, finally, be the type of person that others desire to honor. We can learn from the examples of others, and then let's be that example. That we would strive to show honor to whom honor is due. Giving the proper weight, not to their wickedness, not to their sin, but to position and ultimately that we would bring glory to God. Because showing proper honor for God-ordained authority, yes, it begins with parents. It extends to others, but it invites God's blessing on your life. 
that we would see God honored, that we would raise a generation of young people, of children, who know how to show proper honor, and that we as parents, teachers, whatever position we have, we would be honorable. That we would not be like a Saul, making it difficult. Don't provoke our children that they lose heart, that they become discouraged. But that we would bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that we would give God the honor and glory doing do His name. Do you have that relationship with Him this morning? Because what we've talked about, we can't do in our strength. We can only do it in Christ's strength. He came not only to be an example, to, but to be our Savior. Is He your Savior this morning? Let's look to the Lord.